Welcome to Investor Insights, the wealth management podcast where we address investor needs, help you enhance your financial situation, and explore all parts of a person's financial life. And now, the host of Investor Insights, Mike Williams. Hello there, it's Mike Williams, uh, and thanks again for joining us for today's podcast. We're going to call this one, uh, what was that about all that borrowing? First of all, happy Easter to uh, all. Uh, happy Passover if you don't celebrate Easter. And also a quick note, all of our friends and colleagues in Brussels and Europe, we send our best prayers out to you and uh, hope that you and yours and all those affected by the uh, terrorist events uh, in Brussels are um, brought through this uh, safely and soundly. I uh, want to share a, a, a few headlines this is just out of Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. It shows that investors continued to be net sellers of stock for the 10th straight week. Now, keep in mind, there's only been 12 <laughs> this year. Uh, as bad as it started, they are still selling. They're still net sellers. Now, get this. This is there, There's only been two other times when... We've had more than 10 straight weeks of net selling. Uh, you want to guess when those two times were? While you're guessing, here's a hint. March of 2009 and about a year later in 2010. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had this information back then, I might have been a big buyer. This goes into the flow of things in recent podcasts. You know, we've had better economic reports. We've got oil stabilizing. We've got the dollar rally pausing. We've got a little bit of inflation creeping in. And uh, all the while, the Fed chatter continues to tell us all about the things that really aren't important. So think about it. Do you think it's valuable to know uh, that we've now had 10 straight weeks of net selling for only the third time in the history of the data? That's a while. The takeaway, of course, is that there remains a deep-seated set of fears that almost anything will ignite. I've said it before, but it bears repeating, no pun intended, bear. The 2008-2009 financial setbacks were this generation's Great Depression. I recall meeting clients in the 80s who had lived through the Great Depression, and it still, 40 years later, still impacted their perspectives. Decades later, the data, including this latest, continues to suggest the same is unfolding in the minds of investors today. Even as we watch the market have its best quarterly recovery in eight decades now, mind you, this is not an accident. Remember, when you have extreme levels of fear, the sellers are already done. That's what fear does. It causes weak hands to hand stocks to strong hands. Think of it in that perspective. It, it causes short-term views to liquidate into holders of long-term views. It can't be put any more simply. Sell-offs are opportunities 
if you are a long-term investor. If you are a short-term trader, I can't help you. We don't do that. Don't know anybody who does it successfully for a long period of time. I know lots of people who trade successfully for a short period of time. But trading is kind of like Vegas. You know, you end up giving it back because emotions are just too strong a monster to fight. Look, in the most recent podcast, we have suggested while the entire world has now become focused and educated on the perils of deflation, we might want to start looking for the whiff, the beginning whiff of inflation. Now look, before you have a seizure, which would be bad if you're driving, inflation would be a great thing. It is surely better than deflation. I'm going to sort of describe what I mean by that. When energy is included in the measure of inflation, it can mask the underlying core inflation. Our underlying core inflation has been between two and two and a half, excuse me, between two and two and a half percent since 1994, with one exception, the deflationary reaction of the 2008-2009 collapse. Other than that, roughly one year, one and a half year period. For the last 25 years, we have been hovering right around 2%, which by the way, is the exact target that the Fed is looking for. What has masked that? The collapse in commodities. But that's a cyclical event. Okay, As that pressure wears off, as time and comparison and volatility wears off, inflation, quote-unquote, will begin to, quote, show up, unquote. It's always been there, but it'll show up more clearly. So what does that tell us? It means that the Fed's preferred inflation range will soon be seen as the cloak of cheap oil wears off. I don't mean oil is going to get expensive again. I mean its impact on the average will burn away. So while the experts have been suggesting we vote for no rate increases from the Fed, the economy is actually recovering its pricing power. What's the upshot of that? Soon, the very same experts will be telling us the Fed is too late. Too little, too late. I can hear it now. Do yourself a favor. Ignore the fear-mongering. Ignore it. Okay. Forget economics for a moment, friends. Think demographics. We are in the best shape on the planet thanks to Generation Y, and the future is far brighter than we can possibly think in this all-fearing mechanism that's in place right now. A quick Econ 101 lesson is in order to diffuse this rampant fear about companies borrowing too much money to buy back their stock. First, yes, of course, unmanaged, inappropriate borrowing on anybody's part is not productive and can lead to failure and bankruptcy when unable to pay. However, in a world so full of fear, as we've covered, 
that the demand for debt vehicles allows markets to stay at record low rates, a CFO is compelled to always look for better uses of capital. If your business earns 10% on its equity and you can borrow at 4% for 15 years, you are a fool if you do not try to strategically borrow to buy back and retire your stock, especially when the same environment of fear causes your stock price to be lower than it should be. What's the flip side of this, everybody wonders? Well, there is a flip side, and here's how it unfolds. Later, years down the road, when the fear is gone and things are, quote, better, all these borrowing programs to buy back stock will come due, right? Well, that sounds scary, but it's been happening for decades. It shouldn't be because here are the options. If things have indeed improved, that's excellent. The very same CFO that borrowed that debt to buy that stock will then recommend a sale of that very same treasury stock that they bought back years earlier in order to retire the coming debt due. But here's the interesting thing. The perception will then have changed and the market environment will applaud the reduction of debt, the improving balance sheet, and the firepower now available to borrow again in the future if a great acquisition comes along. And if things have not improved, well, you can expect that fear will still be uh, rampant and deep-seated. Hence, the rates will still be low for all that refinancing needed. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's this simplistic. I'm trying to give you the basics. But it's been this process that has unfolded back and forth for decades as rates and equity prices play their dance. It's always a dance. Understand the dance. Use the dance. Don't be afraid of the dance. Hope those thoughts have been helpful today. Till we see you again on the next podcast, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant. Thanks again.